an impeccable spy richard soj stolens master agent written by owen matthews owen matthews studied modern history at oxford university before beginning his career as a journalist in bosnia he has written for the moscow times the times the spectator and the independent in 1997 he became a correspondent at newsweek magazine in moscow where he covered the second chechen war afghanistan iraq and the conflict in eastern ukraine his first book on russian history uh, stalin's children was translated into 28 languages and shortlisted for the Guardian First Book Award in France's Pre-Medicis. Now this book was published by Bloomsbury Publishing, New York and I bought it. A very interesting book. The book starts with a very interesting passage. The tide of the Second World War turned outside Moscow that month thanks largely to those Siberian reinforcements. They might, not, they might not have been there without the efforts of a German communist spy operating on the far side of the world, an agent who penetrated the innermost secrets of both the Japanese and the German high command, yet was distrusted by his own spy masters in Moscow. Victory, of course, has many fathers, especially one as bloody and momentous as the Soviet victory in the Second World War. But Richard Sorge's brilliant work played a crucial role in saving the Soviet Union from disaster in 1941 and enabled Stalin's eventual victory in 1945. The writer's uh, style of writing is very interesting. In the introduction he states, Richard Sorge was a bad man who became a great spy, indeed one of the greatest spies who ever lived. The espionage network that he built in pre-war Tokyo put him at just one degree of separation from the highest echelons of power in Germany, Japan and the Soviet Union. So, uh, Serge Sorge's best friend, employer, <coughs> and unwitting informant, Yugeri Ott, German ambassador to Japan, spoke regularly to Hitler. Sorge's top Japanese agent, Hotsumi Ozaki, was a member of the cabinet's inner advisory council and regularly talked to Prime Minister Princes, Prince Kono and in Moscow. Sorge's immediate bosses were constant visitors to Stalin's Kremlin study. Sorge survived as an undetected Soviet spy master for nearly nine years in Tokyo, even as Japan was swept by hysterical spy mania and police constantly hunted for the source of his regular coded radio transmissions. And yet he managed to steal the most closely kept 
military and political secrets of both Germany and Japan while hiding in plain sight. Sorge was both an idealistic communist and a cynical liar. He saw himself as a soldier of the revolution, a member of an exalted class of secret party cadres entrusted with the sacred task of penetrating the citadels of the USSR's imperialist enemies but at the same time he was a pedant a drunk and a womanizer he was addicted to risk a braggart often wildly indisciplined on his frequent alcoholic binges he crashed cars and motorcycles drunkenly confessed his love for stalin and the soviet union to audiences of nazis and recklessly seduced the wives of his most valuable agents and closest colleagues sorge often spoke often spoke of himself as a romantic hero a robber knight from german romantic poetry in truth he was one of the lonely deciders who haunt the fringes of the political desert a man always destined to carry the burden of superior knowledge and higher motives than the lesser humans who surrounded him a self-confessed champion of the working masses he was a raging intellectual snob whose natural milieu was the casinos whore houses and dance halls of pre-war shanghai and tokyo above all he was a professional dissembler like most who reached greatness in his profession sorge was driven by a profound compulsion to deceive deception was both sorge's skill and his fatal addiction for most of his life sorge lied to all those around him his many lovers and friends his colleagues and his masters perhaps he even lied to himself one of the most extraordinary things about sorge story is the realization now on page 55 he defines sorge very interestingly when he states sorge was like many spies and indefatigable ladies man the talents of spy and serial seducer are deeply intertwined american intelligence estimated that he had affairs with at least 30 women over the course of his residence in Tokyo but even Sorge's wives even Sorge's lovers were to a greater or lesser extent pawns that he deployed in his spy games he thrilled and terrified them with wild motorcycle rides through the night to a few he revealed a megalomaniacal side as he danced about his house waving a samurai sword and ranting drunkenly about how he was going to slay hitler and become a god 
even in his most private moments he was play acting at being someone greater than himself he frequently complained to his lovers of his loneliness but allowed none of them to share the burden of the secrets he carried within himself all the same the testimonies of the women in sorge's life gave us a valuable side view of the man he wanted to be and the soviet archives reveal many more insights into his private world in the form of his letters to his russian wife and in memoirs and correspondence of his moscow friends and colleagues cited here in english for the first time now owen goes on he states sorge presents an unusual challenge for a biographer he lived most of his life in a shadow world where his life depended on secrecy yet he was also an extrovert and in many ways an exhibitionist once the game was up in the loneliness of a japanese prison some some busied himself sorge busied himself with spinning an idealized version of himself for his interrogators and perhaps for posterity in his extensive correspondence with moscow his letters to his wife katya his journalism and scholarships and his confessions he left a vast written record however like many apparently gregarious people he kept his inner self a closely guarded secret he was a man with three faces one face was of sorge the social lion the outrageously indiscreet life of the party adorned by women and friends his second secret face was turned to his masters in moscow and the third the private man of high principles and base appetites living in a world of lies he kept almost entirely to himself owen states sorge had a talent for situations which served him well throughout his erratic and changeable life the ease with which he was able to move from one milieu to another from one place woman friend to another was staggering men and women alike found his self destructive charisma irresistible he could be savagely elemental temperamental capricious often as selfish as a child his story reminds one of a man constantly trying out a series of savage caricatures of himself on the world adopting slightly new now sorge describes uh, owen describes sorge as following he was a man of many friends but could put confide in almost none of them he spent most evenings out carousing at parties bars and restaurants 
yet he lied to and used almost every one of his wide circles of acquaintances indeed it was his magic facility for putting people at their ease that was his greatest life skill sorjish charm also kept him alive when the brutal gestapo colonel joseph mazinger nicknamed the butcher of warsaw was sent to tokyo to investigate him sorj took him out carousing in the flesh pots of ginza and quickly made a bottle mate of his deadliest enemy unquote so describes owen the way sorj used to operate owen sums up sorj's character as following sorj was also brave whether it was snatching photographs of secret documents when left alone for a few minutes in the german ambassador's study or lying terribly injured in a hospital after a drunken motorcycle wreck but fighting to hold on to un- to consciousness until a friend could arrive to recover incriminating documents from his jacket pocket sorge maintained an almost supernatural cool he always thought of himself as a soldier from his teenage years in the service of the kaiser in the trenches of the first world war to his last moments on the gallows when he stood to attention and saluted the red army and the soviet communist party for all his dr- drunken indiscretions he always lived a life of furious activity rising early and spending hours every day writing reading and spying he was an officer and a professional even when drunk even in despair and in some ways he was also a gentleman in prison he refused to discuss the women in his life and never mentioned his long standing japanese mistress to his interrogators Serge was also an intellectual of sorts. He certainly had at least a robust and competent intelligence. He wrote in his present memoir that in peaceful times he would have been a scholar. He lived his life as the principal actor in a one-man show whose real audience was unknown to its physical spectators. his nearly always remote spy masters in the fourth directorate of the red army's general staff it was serge's tragedy that for the most crucial part of his career they doubted his loyalty and thought him a traitor though he himself mercifully never knew that the brilliant intelligence that he supplied was often scorned and discounted Owen's descriptions are very interesting and he writes very powerfully and I am a critical reviewer but as I read this book I instantly fell in love with Owen and his intellect Now Owen describes Sorge as following 
Richard Sorge was born in 1895 in Baku, the Russian Empire's wealthiest, most corrupt and most violent city. For centuries, oil and gas had been bubbling naturally up from the ground in the marshy lowlands along the Caspian Sea, bursting spontaneously into flame and inspiring fear and worship. But it was a couple of Swedish brothers, Ludwig and Robert Nobel, who transformed this acrid smelling backwater into a great oil boom town when their drills hit Baku's first gusher in 1879. The resulting fountain of wealth drew workers, architects and merchants from all over Russia as well as a boom towns complement of prostitutes, revolutionaries and chancers. Baku in the words of one of its most famous residents, Joseph Stalin, first became a city of debauchery, despotism and extravagance for the wealthy. For the working class who toiled in the notoriously unhealthy oil company shanties, it was a twilight zone of smoke and gloom. Baku's own governor called it the most dangerous place in Russia for the firebrand young writer Maxim Gorky. The oil wells of Baku left the impression of, paint, of a painting of hell. Now, Owen, you know, he follows Sorge's life very closely and he describes uh, Sorge's military career on page 41 as following. Sorge was assigned to the student battalion of the 3rd Guards Field Artillery Regiment and was given, again by his own account, a completely inadequate six-week training course at a drill ground in the outskirts of Berlin. At the end of September, he and his ill-trained fellows were shipped out to the river Yeser. This is somewhere Yeeps in Belgium, where they faced British and Belgian regulars stubbornly holding prepared positions, glowing with naive enthusiasm Sorge's student battalion went over the top for the first time on 11th November at Dixmund, south of Eeps, and was massacred. Any illusions Sorge may have had about the romance of war were shredded along with most of his comrades on his first day of action. This period may be described as from the schoolhouse to the slaughter block, Sorge later recalled with palpable bitterness. Sorge was not very happy in Germany and at a loss what to do. Alienated from the corruption of civilian life, he chose to return to the only adult world he ever felt comfortable in the comradeship of the trenches. 
he volunteered to rejoin his unit before his official convalescence period was up german led offensives in gorlis tarno in galicia the borderlands between the austro-hungarian and austrian and russian empire and in the mazurian lakes in east prussia in the summer of 1915 had pushed the russian army back hundreds of miles behind the pre-war border however when sorge returned to his regiment he found that most of his old friends had been paid for the advance with their lives those who survived were deeply war weary all the men dreamed of peace in their spare moments the fact that although we had already pierced deep into the heart of russia there was still no end in sight made some of them beginning begin to fear that the war would go on forever wounded early wounded again in early 1916 sorge found berlin slipping ever deeper into the grip of reaction and imperialism he became convinced that germany was unable to provide the world with new ideas but though his revolutionary consciousness may have been awakened the 21 year old sorge nonetheless volunteered to return once more to his regiment on the eastern front i felt that i would be better off fighting in a foreign land than Three weeks after his return to the front near Baranovichi, southwest of Minsk, in March 1916, Sorge was wounded for the third time. This time, his injuries were nearly fatal. Both his legs were shattered by shrapnel and three fingers partially amputated. His injuries left him with a pronounced limp for the rest of his life. After an agonizing journey, across occupied russia he was brought to the university hospital in konigsberg the historical capital historic capital of east prussia recently recaptured from the tsar he was promoted to the rank of corporal received the iron cross second class and a medical discharge from the army he also learned that two of his brothers had been killed in combat Now to cut the story short Sorge was assigned the following mission by the Soviet intelligence and as Owen describes it Japan's intentions towards the USSR were certainly of the most urgent concern to the Kremlin in the wake of the invasion of Manchuria they would become more and more vital as second world war approached sorge's main role as he later told the japanese was to observe the most closely 
the question of whether or not Japan was planning to attack the Soviet Union, it would not be far wrong to say that it was the sole object of my mission in Japan." Unquote. This is how Owen describes it. Now the uh, description uh, Owen gives regarding the modus operandi is as following, quote, the fourth department decided that Sorge should once more hide in plain sight, working as the now respected German journalist and Asia expert. They drilled him in the latest ciphers, codes, based on page and line numbers of the 1933 edition of the German Statistical Yearbook. They again warned Sorge against contact with local Japanese communists who were hopelessly infiltrated with police informers. He also was told to avoid officials of the Soviet embassy in Tokyo who were kept under constant watch. All that remained was to establish Dr. Sorge's bona fides with a fresh set of German journalistic accreditations and letters of introduction to top German and Japanese officials in Tokyo. Now Sorge had to go to Germany to get a new German passport. This itself is very interesting, you know. And Owen describes it. Bronen briefed the new arrival on the dangers he faced in Berlin as Sorge sought to renew his German passport and obtain a newspaper correspondence card. All Germans returning from abroad would be subjected to a background check by the newly formed state secret police. The Geheim Stars Police, commonly known as the Gestapo. Before issuing a new passport, in Bronin's opinion, it was unlikely that Sorge's communist past, his brawling on the streets of Kiel, his reputation as a dangerous socialist agitator in the pits of the Ruhr, or his role as a party courier and fixer in Frankfurt would be unearthed by the Gestapo formed less than a month before Sorge's arrival. Nonetheless, Bronin admired the calculated risk taken by Berzin, a master. Now the bottom line is, the book is very interesting and uh, deserves to be read, but the bottom line is that Sorge brilliantly discovered the basic intelligence that Japan would not attack the USSR. And this was most crucial to Soviet Union because Stalin's Russian Empire, Soviet Empire would have collapsed if the Japanese had attacked the USSR. Another very interesting uh, fact that we discover in this book is that the Germans gave the Japanese the idea that Singapore should be attacked by Malaya instead of from the sea. This is page 243 Owen's book. Naturally, I was always surprised that Japanese are so bullet-headed and they have got such peanut brains that they could never have they could never have discovered this, you know. Only, you know, the intellectually superior Germans or somebody from Europe could have guided them. 
because Japanese have peanut intellectual brains as far as the military planning is concerned. Now, the worst part of the book is that all the reports that Sorge gave to the Soviet intelligence, characters who were heading Soviet intelligence, it's very interesting, you know, that a guy called Golikov was heading Soviet intelligence and he was such a letdown. But remember, let down people, people who lie, people who have no conviction are the most successful in history. And uh, everybody loves them. So there is a pathetic guy called Golikov. He's heading the Soviet intelligence. And although Sorge is giving reports to Golikov that Japan will not attack Russia and Sorge is more important. Sorge is giving Golikov the crucial data that Germans are about to attack Soviet Union. But this letdown guy, Golikov, is saying only what he, what, Stol- what Stalin wants to hear. And Golikov is telling Stalin all along that Germany will never attack the Soviet Union. He's a totally letdown guy, but the interesting part is that let down people, uh, people who lie, they succeed always in life, you know, and they do very well. Oh, this is all bullshit that, you know, if you lie, you will be getting into trouble. As far as I have studied the intelligence history, the liars and the people who are totally let down, they are the most successful. And if you study any successful man in history, you will find that he was one of the, he was the worst liars, you know. So Golikov lies to Stalin constantly and finally Germany attacks Soviet Union but Golikov still goes on. He is not shot. He is not shot. He is not, you know, he is not dispatched to hell. And Golikov goes on in good positions till 1962. So the lesson we get from uh, Owen's book is that liars have always succeeded in history and the more perfect liar you are, you the, the more you succeed. And one of the most interesting uh, lessons that emerges from this book is that Japanese were stupid par excellence. As far as military history is concerned, in strategy they were zero. Had they attacked the Soviet Union, Stalin's empire would not have lasted for a few months. And Japan would have also perhaps emerged in a better position in the Second World War. With Soviet Union collapsing, the Americans and the British could never have won the Second World War. But the Japanese were so intellectually inferior, peanut brained, you know, peanut brained, very, very small brains, and have no strategic insight. So Japanese emerged in this book as the most stupid people, and they had no strategic insight. They were very good in catching swords, Finally, they caught Sorge, they hanged him, but Sorge had inflicted the harm on the Japanese state by already passing the crucial intelligence to Soviet Union that Japan would not attack the USSR. So it's a very interesting book, but a study in irony also that, you know, Sorge who passed the best intelligence to Soviet Union was never acknowledged 
by stalin's bureaucracy and he was you know totally run down always but you know he was the great man he was the real hero of second world war he is the man who saved uh, soviet union and japanese in this account emerge as totally peanut brained totally hopeless people you know absolutely hopeless generally uh, asians have uh, shown less strategic insights than the europeans now page 337 is very interesting owen describes sorge's execution and he states sorge was led in next it was only when he saw the formally dressed officials that he realized that the moment of his execution had come it is today he inquired yes today the governor answered sorge wore dark trousers an open shirt and a loose jacket he seemed calm and self possessed asked about his property he replied that he would like it left to anna clausen doubtless to protect hanako his japanese mistress from further involvement with the police sorge left his like a camera and dictionaries to his executioners and requested that letters he had prepared be sent to his mother and sister through the german embassy he politely refused the priests tea and cakes but asked for a cigarette the governor told him it was against the rules yuda tamon the official tokyo witness to the execution spoke up impulsively oh let him have a cigarette he urged i know it is against the rules but it is his last wish as his arms and legs were bound and the noose put around his neck sore spoke three phrases in cloud in loud clear japanese sakigun the red army kokusai kayosanto the international communist party soviet kayosanto the soviet communist party the door opened beneath his feet and sorge dropped into oblivion governor ichijama said he had never seen anyone act as nobly as ozaki and sorge at their deaths other members of the ring died less gloriously miyagi succumbed to pneumonia halfway through his own trials in 1943 his weak lungs unable to bear the damp and cold of the prison vokalek was sentenced to life imprisonment and in july 1944 was transferred from sugamu to the abashiri prison on the freezing northern island of hokkaido where he perished from starvation vokalek weighed only 32 kilos 5 stone when he died yushiko was informed of his death on 15 january 1945 clausen and anna were luckier they survived the war and were liberated by the german by the americans in august 1945 both returned to germany where max the admirer of hitler and lapsed communist was featured as a socialist hero by the new east german regime
Now the ironic part is that neither the Germans nor the Russians had any interest in giving Soj a proper burial. So as Owen describes he was interred in the Zoshigaya cemetery near Sugamu prison a wooden board marking his final resting place in July 1945 the prison was destroyed by allied bombing Soj's house burned to together with the extensive library which his defense lawyer had donated to the prosecutor's office Hanako only learned of Soj's execution in October 1945 two months after the Japanese cap- capitulation when the allied occupation authorities published details of the case in the local press the story caused a sensation not least because Ozaki came to be seen by many Japanese leftists as a hero and patriot resisting militarism while so many of their countrymen had remained shamefully silent the Ozaki case inspired several films and plays including the 1962 play a Japanese called Oto by Junji Kenoshita over a hundred books have been written in Japanese about the source aspiring and a thriving Tokyo based Sorge Society holds well attended annual conferences now the bottom line is that Sorge gave valuable intelligence to his Soviet handlers but Soviet intelligence was so let down that their chief Golikov a thoroughly let down guy all along was feeding wrong information to stalin and the greatest intelligence failure of soviet intelligence was covered up by stalin golikov was not taken to task he enjoyed life he had good appointments and he was only kicked out in 1962 so the lesson is that truth does not count in this world what counts is total opportunism lying if it suits your masters and intelligence agencies especially they have been you know churning wrong false information even in the case of the ormada attack this buzi pass attack recently in pakistan pakistani intelligence was throughout churning false information and blaming iran all the attack was masterminded from afghanistan so this this is how the things go on you know and you know people succeed in pakistan history the greatest intelligence failure of pakistan army occurred in 1984 when the pakistani military intelligence under hamid gul and isi under akhtar abdurrahman totally failed in siachen when indians came 35 miles inside but what happened to these people these two characters they went on you know akhtar abdurrahman became four star general even with this total failure Amir Bul also became a lieutenant general and you know continued till he was you know dismissed or forced to retire by Asif Nawaz in January 92 the lesson is that opportunism pays you know truth substance your merit has got little importance in life what pays is sucking if you are a good intellectual sucker you succeed this is the lesson of life and this is what Owen's book you know taught me very interesting you know